Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is Season 7 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional no-apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. Now, the Word of God is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. Well, as my associate pastor wanders around the room, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles, either the ones that you brought with you or the ones in the pews, and turn in them with me to the psalm we just read in a response, uh, which is Psalm 42, and it's found on page 515 of the Old Testament. So we're continuing our Lenten series, which is uh, titled, A Journey Through Lent, Reflecting on Christ's Sacrifice for Us. And this is uh, based on a book of the same name by uh, Timothy Keller, the uh, pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, He and his staff preached through these psalms in 2015, and uh, this is also the study that we are doing uh, in conjunction with uh, Union Presbyterian Church in Carney's Point with our Lenten study on Wednesday nights. And so um, I thought it would be nice if we just follow along with that study uh, and um, and look at some of these psalms through uh, the sermon teaching. Again, uh, I mentioned this last week that uh, prior to last week, I had not preached on any of the Psalms. And so last week was a departure for me. And this week, again, we are looking at the Psalms and uh, we're, we're coming to understand that the Psalms are songs, but they're also prayers and they're also poetry, they're literature. And they are part of what we call uh, wisdom literature of the Bible the Psalms. Now, Psalm 42, I'm going to read Psalm 42, and also Psalm 43, and I'll I'll give you a reason why in in just a moment, but uh, let us hear the word of the Lord for us today, uh, beginning in Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep as at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, 
my help and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you this morning earnestly seeking your presence here among us. We thank you for the promises of Scripture, for your Son said that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are among us. And so we gladly receive you into our worship space this morning. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the second week of Lent. Uh, and during Lent, it's normal for Christians to do a self-examination. And we ask ourselves this question, why is the cross even necessary? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? We have to look at ourselves, we have to look at our human condition, and what about it requires the cross? We live in a fallen world, we live in a, in a world of sin, and because of our sin, because of the sin that we are born into, because of the sin condition that we are born with, Christ went to the cross for us. We learned last week that it was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was the love of God. Because Jesus could have come down at any time. He could have called down 12 legions of angels to rescue him. But it was love that held him to the cross. We're going to look at some of what Christ went through again as we continue to um, reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us. The reason I read Psalm 42 and 43 together is that it's believed, and for good reason, that at one time these were one single psalm together. When you read the two psalms together, you kind of understand where that thinking comes from because there is this refrain that repeats three times among the two psalms, and that is the refrain you see uh, in verse 5 of Psalm 42, and then again in verse 11. And then again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. If you look at those three verses, you see that they are actually identical. It's, it's kind of like a chorus in a song. When we sing a song and you get to the chorus, and that's the part that we repeat, that's like the theme of the song. Well, here in this Psalm, let's call this uh, Psalm 42 and 43 a single psalm. Here in this psalm, this is the theme. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? He's not talking to us. The psalmist is not talking to us. He's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. Why are you, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? 
And then he says, he answers himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the theme of this psalm. It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most famous and probably one of the wisest pieces of literature in the Bible, this psalm. Uh, There is a, a, a wisdom in this particular psalm about being in darkness, being downcast, being despondent. Now this psalm, as we look at it, it describes the condition. The condition is that we are downcast, or the psalmist is downcast. It describes the condition, it diagnoses the causes, and then it prescribes a cure. And that's where there is wisdom in this psalm. So let's look at the condition. Three times he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Other uh, translations say downcast. Why are you downcast, O my soul? The Hebrew word uh, means something that is crumpled or dissolved or in collapse. And it's used here as a metaphor for completely giving up. You ever been in that moment when you've just, I I can't take it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm completely done. I, I surrender. I can't do this anymore. This is where the psalmist is today. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's crumpled, tossed aside like a piece of paper. He's dissolved. He's in complete collapse. He has completely given up. Now, there's three things that we need to take away from this. First of all, strong believers, true believers, can and do become despondent and profoundly so. We experience seasons of spiritual dryness even when we have our greatest spiritual strength. And sometimes, in times of spiritual victory, those times of feeling despondent, of feeling downcast in your soul, of feeling that spiritual dryness, are even greater. We, look at, we looked at 1 Kings today, chapter 18. Well, in verse 19, here is Elijah. In, 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 in chapter 18... He's going before Ahab and saying, you're the troubler of Israel. It's you who have caused this drought. You know, God caused this drought for three and a half years because of you, not because of me. And so he had this spiritual victory. In the very next chapter, however, he collapses. He collapses. He went a day's journey, we read in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He prayed for death. That's how low he had become. In Numbers chapter 11, we see Moses, a single man, leading two million people through the wilderness. And the pressure of it is just too much for him. In verse 15 of Numbers 11, it says that Moses prayed to God, If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. 
If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. He said, take away my life so I don't have to live like this anymore. That's how despondent he had become. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 3. After Jonah proclaimed the word of the Lord to the people of Nineveh, and the people of Nineveh fasted and repented, and God relented of the damage that he was going to cause, of the destruction that he was going to cause to Nineveh. In this spiritual victory, Jonah sat down again underneath a broom tree and prayed. Yeah, that's, that's uh, he found the bells. And he prayed, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, in spiritual victory, we experience spiritual dryness. Because, why? Why? Because we are earthen vessels. And we pour out our spirits. And if you have a pitcher that is full of water, it's, it, it looks fine until you pour out a glass and pour out another glass and pour out another glass and realize that now it is empty. It is dry. You have to refill the pitcher. And so in times of spiritual victory, sometimes strong believers, true believers, can become despondent and profoundly so. These are strong believers. Elijah and Moses and Jonah, these are people who were very strong in their faith of the Lord. Now there's two other things to note about Psalm 42. Number one, there's no admission of guilt here. He's not praying for... Um, repentance for a particular sin. Some of the psalms are, are songs of lament for sins committed, but there is none of that here. There is also no tragedy or suffering. This is not a result of, of some tragic occurrence. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? And in verse 10, he says, As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These are not enemies that are persecuting him or trying to harm him. But these are just enemies that are just there and saying to him, Where is your God? So there's no guilt. There's no tragedy or suffering. The other thing that we need to know about this condition of being downcast is this. Human beings need God just as much as animals need water. He says in the first verse, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As an animal needs water, as we need water, we also need God. There is a... a, a a need, a thirst that cannot be quenched without God. And people who do not believe in God have that yearning and don't recognize it. They can't put a name to it. They can't consciously understand what it is that they need. So they seek after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing. And if you ever wondered why the godless live in a way that is so godless... It's because they're, they're pursuing something. They, they don't even know what it is that they need or what they want. And so they try to fill it 
with all things around them and are never satisfied. It's a deep thirst. It's a yearning. It's a, it's, it's, and the word there for thirst is, a, is like a thirst after a deep dehydration. Now, people who live in a desert environment understand what it means to be dehydrated, understand what it means to thirst for water. And so when he says, my soul thirsts for God, he means this, the deepest, I need God right now. So that's the condition. The condition is he's downcast. Uh, we can become despondent and we need God. So what are the causes? What are the specific causes for this uh, psalmist to be downcast? Well, first of all, it's a change in setting. Okay, a change in setting. We see in verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He's saying, I remember how we used to go to the house of God. Now, that's, just, that's not just nostalgia, okay? He's specifically remembering a time when they used to go to the house of God, but he's not in that place anymore. Now he's in a godless environment. Now he's in a place where people are saying to him, where, are, where is your God? And he also says in verse 5, Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. These are places that are not near Jerusalem, near the temple. So he's no longer in that place. It's a change of location, a change of setting. I used to go to the house of God. I remember you from all these places. And when we grow up in an environment where God is assumed, and then we are removed from that environment, sometimes we can become despondent. I remember when I, when I went to college for the first time, I was 18 years old, and I had grown up in the church, and I had never known an environment except the environment of being connected to God through the community of the church. And so when I went to college, first of all, I tried to get connected to a faith community there. And on campus, they had a, a group that would meet for worship but it was contemporary. And I grew up in a traditional environment and I wasn't ready for it. And people were there raising their hands and I'm like, what are you people doing? I thought I was joining a cult, you know? And they were singing rock music and I'm like, where are the, where are the hymns? Where's the hymn book? I don't know any of these songs. What are you guys doing? And so I, I, I withdrew from that. It was a totally different change of setting for me. It was a totally different environment for me. And I, and I felt like God wasn't there. Of course, God was there. But I just didn't feel it because I, I had let myself become so complacent in my, uh, in my walk with Christ that I, I just assumed that everybody around me felt the way that I did about God. And in that environment... At Pittman, yeah, everybody did. But as soon as I was removed from that environment, I didn't have my own foundation to stand on. So we need to develop our own life and experience with God. So a change in setting can change that. The second thing is it's also now a hostile environment that he's in. In verse 9, he says, I say 
to God my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? Now, it's not that the enemy is persecuting him, but they are, as he says, they are mocking him. As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? So it's a hostile environment. We need to establish our own connection. If we live in a place where God is assumed, he becomes part of the woodwork. And if we live in a place where God is denied, he becomes a fable. We need to develop our own connection. So a change in setting, a hostile environment. Also note that it's a lack of sleep and a lack of eating. In verse 3 he says, My tears have been my food day and night. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. He's just weeping. He's mournful. These are signs of clinical depression. Now, the Bible has a multidimensionality to understanding affliction. Everything isn't just spiritual. But also, everything isn't just physical. Everything isn't just emotional. See, we in the church tend to think, well, just, you know, pray the pain away. Pray it away, you know. If you're, uh, if you're suffering, why don't you just get on your knees and go to God and, and then everything will be fine. Well, sometimes there's a physical thing that needs to be addressed too. In the secular world, if somebody's suffering like this, they just say, well, here, take this pill. That'll fix it. Just keep taking the pills and you'll be fine. But that doesn't solve the deeper problem either. And sometimes we'll say, well, all you need is therapy. Address your emotions. Address your feelings. But that doesn't quite get it either. It's a, it's a multidimensional approach that the Bible takes. It's not just the physical, and it's not just the emotional, and it's not just the spiritual. It's a mixture of all of those things together. In 1 Kings chapter 19 again, when uh, Elijah was praying for death, he fell asleep, and it says, an angel touched him. God sent an angel. You know, this angel, while he was sleeping, the angel cooked him dinner. Isn't that cool? Because <laughs> the angel came and touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. Cake of bread, not, you know, like a birthday cake. But, and he ate and drank and laid down again. See, the angel said, you have to address your physical needs now. And we can address the spiritual needs when you've addressed that. So it's a change in setting. It's a hostile environment. It's, it's clinical depression. But here's the deeper issue. And, and I alluded to this earlier. The deeper issue is this. Every human being needs God. Whether they acknowledge it or not. Every human being needs God. Augustine, in his confessions, wrote, Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men who are due part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry out our mortality about with us. Carry the evidence of our sin and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you 
may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself. And then he finishes with this. And our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. We seek things. We try to fill that void with things and stuff and nothing satisfies because that yearning for God, God is infinite. What in the world could we put in place of God that would satisfy that infinite yearning? So we've talked about the condition, we've talked about the, the diagnosis. Now here's the cure. We have three prescriptions from the text. First of all, pour out your soul. Pour out your soul. He said, verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now here's kind of some uh, advice that you can take or leave. But if you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. If God doesn't feel real to you, go to Him anyway. How is that possible? When I did not believe in God, and I was struggling with my recovery from drug addiction, because in Narcotics Anonymous, we talk about a higher power, and I knew that that was a code word for God, and it was driving me crazy, because I was like, I don't believe in God. I can't rely on God. So I'm going to fail at this. Somebody invited me to go on this retreat. It was called a Matt Talbot retreat. It's a Catholic retreat. And you go to a monastery up in upstate New York, and you spend an awful lot of time by yourself. And there's time, you know, group time to talk, and, and then there's fellowship time and eating time, but there's an awful lot of alone time. And so I was struggling with this whole issue of whether God exists or not. And so I found myself on my knees and praying, praying, not believing in God. And yet on my knees and praying and going, God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, I just want to know. I want the assurance. And in that moment, God answered my prayer because I just, I felt like this wave of peace crashing over me as if God was putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, yes, I'm here. I'm right here. That was the moment when I knew that there was a God. So if you, if you feel separated from God, just go to God anyway. And if you feel like, if you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. The second cure is talk to yourself. Now, I talk to myself all the time. You know, people say to, you, say to me all the time, uh, who are you talking to over there? I was talking to myself. You know, I used to have one of those earbud things, you know, and, and I would just pretend like I was talking on the phone, but I've given it up, you know. I talk to myself. That's okay. Somebody said to me, well, as long as you don't answer yourself. And I said, well, if I didn't answer myself, what's the point of talking to myself, right? Come on. But no, talk to yourself about your hopes, Three times, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? What is the cure that he prescribes himself? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. 
Talk to yourself about your hopes. See, he's not just talking to himself. Or he's, he's talking to himself. He's not just listening to himself. Have you ever listened to yourself? You know, sometimes when you're in your head and you're listening to yourself, it'll drive you nuts. So we, can't, we don't just listen to ourselves. We have to talk to ourselves. And he doesn't just talk about his feelings. He talks about his hopes. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And the third thing is this, meditate on prayer. Pour out your soul, talk to yourself about your hopes, and meditate on prayer. Verse 6, he says, my, God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. And in verse 9, uh, verse 8, he says, by, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He says, I'm singing songs to God. As, as despondent as I am, I'm singing songs to God. I'm praying to God. I'm meditating on prayer. Now, as we are in the season of Lent, we're also looking at these things and how we can see these things in Christ on the cross. Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. But look at verse 9. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Sometimes we feel like we're forgotten by God. Sometimes we feel like we're forsaken by God. Sometimes we feel abandoned by God. But nobody in the history of the world has ever been abandoned by God the way that Jesus was abandoned by God on the cross. That sounds stark. But Jesus prayed that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then later he said what? I thirst. Nobody has ever experienced a thirst for God like Christ felt on the cross that day. Because he, he stayed there. He took on the sin of the world and God in disgust turned his back. Of course, he raised him three days. But in that moment, it was as if the entire universe had gone dark to Christ. But he bore that. He bore it. He knew what he was taking. He knew it because when he was in Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if, if it's possible, take this cup from me. What cup? The cup of God's wrath that he drunk to the dregs. Nobody. We, have felt, we may have felt desert, deserted by God, but we have never experienced the desertion like Jesus felt in that moment. Now, we all fall into seasons of spiritual dryness. And the psalmist here laments a disconnect from God, and he describes the root causes. He talks about a change in setting, a change in the atmosphere, and what might be described as symptoms of clinical depression. But the deeper issue is that we all need God. Every human being on the planet needs God. And those who don't make God the center of their lives experience a yearning for something greater that they cannot explain. Blasey Pascal said it best in his Pensees, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. 
This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he, can fi- he cannot find in those that are, though none can help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So, if you're feeling spiritually dry today, here's the prescription. Pour out your soul to God. Talk to yourself about your hopes and meditate on prayer. Seek God and you will always find him. Let us pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, there is so much tenderness in you, so much love and peace that can be found in your presence. We seek you daily, Lord. There might be some here feeling a spiritual dryness. There might be some here panting, longing, yearning for you. Fill our hearts with your Spirit. Heal the broken. Save the lost. And make your presence known among those who may be questioning you today. Yours is the glory and the power forever. We give our hearts to you this day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My prayer for you is that you have been blessed in its teaching as I have been blessed putting this message together. God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn, and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pettertown. And if you live in the area and you don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m., and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family, hit like, leave a comment, And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this. Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.